Now, this is part two, and we approached this issue, it may have been two months ago, or maybe a month and a half ago, and that is the gift of tongues. Why should we look at the gift of tongues? Well, first, it's in the Bible. Sometimes there are people, um, non-charismatic brothers and sisters, that may say, I don't believe in the gift of tongues. Well, as believers, we should say what? We do believe in the gift of tongues. It's in the Bible. (laughs) Our perspective of it might be a little bit different than some others, but the Bible says that there is a gift given called the gift of tongues. Sometimes, being non-charismatic, we may confuse others or confuse ourselves. And what I mean is this. If I was to ask you, are you a cessationist or a uncessationist, what would you say? Cessation or uncessation? I would pro- people would probably say, like for example, John MacArthur, cessationist or uncessationist. We would say, well, he's a uncessationist. But I have uh, charismatic, uh, very close relatives and very close friends. As I said, the mentor. My mentor and my doctoral program wrote a book on speaking in tongues and how speaking in tongues is not a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So my mentor is Pentecostal, a very godly man. I love him. Uh, Rick Walton. And he would say that he's a non-cessationist. What, what do we mean when we say that? Well, for example, I've had friends of mine say, Tom, since you're non-charismatic, you, you don't believe in the gifts. And I'll say, what? <laughs> I believe in all the gifts. <laughs> and then they might say, well, you don't believe all the gifts exist today. Okay, well, that, that's getting closer to the truth. But what, what I'm saying is, or trying to say, is that when we, it's not wrong to have labels, but we have to be clear with with our labels. Uh, For example, and I I mentioned this, I believe, maybe I didn't, but I have mentioned this before, maybe a few few years ago when I taught on spiritual gifts. For example, uh, the gift of healing. Does God heal today? Yes, of course. And James 5 tells us how we should go about healing in the church of Christ. But does the gift of healing today, that is like an apostle or a close associate of the apostle, could I go up to somebody in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be healed? And then that person is immediately and fully healed. I would say I don't think that gift exists today. And even my charismatic brothers and sisters, at least functionally, don't believe that that gift exists. For example, when I lived in India, right outside of my flat, my apartment, there was a line of lepers, and they would just sit on the street. Some didn't have a nose or an arm or a leg, and they just waited there, about seven to ten of them, for handouts. And there was a Roman Catholic shrine, and... They would go once a week to the shrine and ring a bell. And sometimes they believed that that might bring them healing from an angel. 
And they were there every day. So I asked my charismatic brother, I said, can you get a healer from your church and come and lay your hands on them and, and heal them? And he said, no, you can bring them to the healing meeting. And I said, no, they, they can't come. They have to crawl. And I don't think they'll come because they're Hindu. But if you can send somebody, you can lay hands on them, heal them, and then I'll preach. But nobody would come and do that. So what I am saying and suggesting is, in one sense, even charismatics, in one sense, believe in an amount of cessation. That is, in a certain sense, there are some gifts that don't function exactly like they did in the New Testament. Okay. Now, that's just an, a, an introduction to gifts that are more experience-oriented, like the gift of tongues. And so what I'm suggesting is, at least functionally, there are some gifts that don't function the way that they used to function. But we want to get in the Word of God. We want to get in God's Word. And if you look at your notes from last week, not last week, a few weeks ago, we talked about first what is the gift of tongues. And I'm going to go quickly and then we'll get to the purpose. What is the gift of tongues? A supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to speak in different human languages that you've not already learned. And we derive that from the New Testament Greek lexicons. That would be, for example, Abbott Smith, Luau Nida, Bauer Odrich Gingrich. Those are just some New Testament Greek lexicons. So the, the mainstay foundational Greek lexicons for the New Testament say... And they give many examples that the Greek word for tongues, glossan, means either your tongue and your mouth, this muscle, or a human language. That's just the way it's used throughout the, the scriptures. And we looked at these different examples. Like second, we talked about the interpretation of tongues. And that's the interpretation of languages. And we gave examples. John 1.42 talks about translation. Translating a, a human language. We even went to the book of Acts. And you might remember where Acts chapter 2, of course, gives one of the best examples of the gift of tongues. And when it was used... You can see verse 8, Acts chapter 2, verse 8. How is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born? So obviously it's talking about a human language. In verse 9, Acts chapter 2 lists all the different people groups. Now, it's, it's here that some people, some scholars, and I could be wrong. It's been some, some years, but I believe it's Max Turner and D.A. Carson and there are books on the Holy Spirit, which are both very good books. Uh, Show Me the Sign, I think, and then I forgot Max Turner's book. Both are more European than American, and maybe that's why they have this little bit of a nuance. 
but when they look at Acts chapter 2, they would say it's not a gift of speaking. They would say it's a gift of hearing. When you look at Acts chapter 2, they would say, for example, if you look at verse 8, and how is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born? So there are some Bible scholars that say, that say no, Acts chapter 2 is not the best, the best example of the gift of tongues because it's not the gift of tongues, it's the gift of hearing. But that's not actually accurate. If you look at verse 4, uh, it says, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And then even verse 6 says, yes, they were hearing them, but they were speaking his own language. But verse 4 is very clear. As the Spirit was giving them utterance to speak. That's what verse 4 says. So actually, Acts chapter 2 is this example, not of the gift of hearing, but is the gift of speaking in a language that you had never spoken before. Also, secondly, when we look at Acts chapter 2, there are some scholars, I don't know if it's D.A. Carson, I'm pretty sure Max Turner, would say that this is not an example of glosson, glossolalia, tongues, but it's xenoglossolalia. Xeno means what? Do, do you have xenophobia? What would xenophobia be? A fear of what? Yes, a fear of foreigners. Xeno means foreign. And so they would say, here you have an example of xenoglossan or xenoglossolalia. That is that you have people that are speaking and foreign tongues, but 1 Corinthians 14 is a different type of tongues because it's glossolalia. And so there it's praying in tongues in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. It's praying in a mysterious divine language. Whereas Acts chapter 2, that's zeo, xenon, glossolalia. Am I being clear with what I'm saying? There's a problem with that though. When you look at Acts chapter 2, you'll never find the word xenoglossolalia. It's not there. Not that the scholars are saying that term is there, but they're using that term, a Greek term, to describe what's happening in Acts chapter 2. But actually, that Greek term is never, ever there. So, though I don't judge their intention, the, the argument itself is not a valid argument. There's one Greek word that's used throughout the New Testament for your muscle and tongue, for a human language, even for the gift, whatever it is, there's one term that's used, not two terms, and that's glossolalia or glossan. Okay? So is that clear? So in other words, Acts chapter 2 is a very good example of the gift of tongues. And there, it's people that are speaking in human languages. It's the clearest example that we have. Okay? Now, that's basically what we went over last week. I keep saying last week. Last month or two months ago. But we also need to, to talk about the purpose. The purpose. 
they've said, what is the gift of tongues? We've looked at that from last week, and if you missed that, you can talk to me afterwards or listen to the the tape. But we also need now need to talk about the purpose. What is the purpose of the gift of tongues? And every gift has a purpose, but the gift of tongues is a, a little bit different. Go back to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. And just follow along silently as I read out loud. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet evil. Get an evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. The, the Corinthians, it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 7, that they were richly blessed with all the gifts of the Spirit of God. And it even says that they were saints. But from chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 11, Paul exhorts them and corrects them because they had a lot of issues. They had a lot of problems. I wouldn't say to you, Oh, Pilgrim Bible Church, I hope one day you can grow up to be like the Corinthian church. I don't think anybody would say that because they were immature. They were saints, for the most part, but they had some problems with maturity. And so then Paul continues in verse 21, In the law, that is, in the Old Testament, it is written, and he's quoting from Isaiah, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. Even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22. So then, tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, then ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy, that means they're declaring God's word, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you, because God's word has been clearly preached. But if you go back up to verse 20, there is this assertion that is made. The church was immature, and basically they were misusing their gifts. That's verse 20. And then Paul goes on in verse 21, and he gives support for this. He's saying you're immature in how you use your gifts. Remember 1 Corinthians 13. Foundationally, they were immature in using their gifts. Why? Because they were not acting out of? 1 Corinthians 13, they weren't acting out of love. And so they were being immature. But he gives further support for saying that they're immature in verse 21 and 22, basically, because he says that there's an Old Testament principle that when you hear foreign tongues, the strange tongues to the Hebrews, to those that were in northern Israel with the tongues of Assyria. That's what verse 21 is talking about. And then God and Isaiah says that he'll bring judgment. He told northern Israel, when you hear these Assyrians speak, that's a sign that what's coming? Judgment. Remember, northern Israel repeatedly, over and over and over and over again, sinned against God and rejected God. This is in Isaiah 28, 11. And so God told them, when you hear this foreign language, that's a sign of judgment. 
So then Paul takes that Old Testament principle, truth, and he applies it. The Spirit of God, through Paul, is applying it to the gift of tongues. And he says in verse 22 then, this deduction, that tongues is a sign. And by the way, in the New Testament Greek, the word sign is placed first. Samon. It's placed first in the Greek sentence. Often that was done to express emphasis, to, to make a point. With the New Testament in Greek, the author could put words almost wherever he wanted to to emphasize a point. And so here it's very clear that Paul is saying tongues then are a sign of judgment. He's making this point emphatic. And then he uses the word, not day, but um, Allah. Day is a Greek word that means butter now. There's another Greek word. It sounds like Allah, like in, in Islam, they worship Allah. It sounds the same, but it's A-L-L-A. And it's a very emphatic, and it's almost a word of substitution, but of contrast. What I mean is this. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but even rather, mainly for unbelievers. But... Instead, prophecy, now that is not for unbelievers, but to those who believe. Prophecy here means declaring God's word. So then, uh, let me be clear then. Paul is saying that for his first point, and the emphatic point, is that when you speak tongues, I'm saying you in terms of the Corinthian church, He's saying to them, you are saying, judgment is coming. That's what he's saying. When you're at a church and you're just speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation, then you're saying what? You're saying to that church, the judgment of God is coming. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Now, I've been in many churches all over the world where everybody would speak tongues at the same time and what they understand to be tongues. Now, I've also been at a church where the pastor had everybody pray out loud in English all at the same time. I couldn't even think. I, I, I couldn't even pray because it was, it was so chaotic. Here, Paul is saying that if one or many of you are speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation, so it's just a language that you don't understand at all, and this is a repeated practice, then... You're saying, basically, based upon an Old Testament principle, you're basically announcing judgment. Now, we don't know for sure, but we know that Jerusalem fell, was conquered, destroyed by Rome in 70 AD. Not saying that 1 Corinthians 14, 20 to 22 is talking about that specifically. Perhaps. We don't know for sure. But Paul is saying here, it's not wise to speak in a tongue, pray in a tongue, and there not be any translation. Because that is doing it in a language people don't understand, which in the Old Testament was saying judgment is coming. So that's what the... You're in my sermon later on today. 
Why would he be in my sermon later on today? Because in Genesis 49, one of the tribes of Israel is compared to a a doe. So in Genesis 49, you have a lion, you have a wolf, a serpent, and a doe. (laughs) Which would you rather be, a serpent or a doe? (laughs) You snake? Oh, even a donkey. A donkey as well. One of the tribes is compared to a donkey. Very interesting. I was hope I want you to come by during the sermon. You're not going according to plan. The Lord had a different plan. So that's one purpose, and it's it's hard to understand. But Paul, I think, is trying to tell the church that, that not necessarily that speaking. If somebody speaks in tongues and is and that's not an interpreted. He's not saying that, I don't think that guarantees judgment, but he's saying there is a principle that God in the Old Testament had, and that is when there's a foreign language, it was symbolic of a foreign uh, army coming in, and they would destroy you. And so Paul is saying, that's what happened in the Old Testament, so why would you want to do the same thing? Further, every gift is also used to edify the body. You can look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Manifestation of the Spirit is the idea that the Holy Spirit, you can look at verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. The Holy Spirit brings effects, brings services through all the variety of gifts. The Holy Spirit manifests himself when we in love and humbly use our gifts when we do it in submission to God in a spirit of love and humility then people are built up by the spirit that's what verse 7 says for the common good to build up the body to help the body to grow in Christ also look at 1 Corinthians 14 verses 1 through 5 He says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. He's saying, yes, love, and you you should also want spiritual gift because a spiritual gift is something you use to exalt who? Not exalt, but you use it to edify others, to build others up. So it's good to want that, but especially that you may prophecy. And prophecy here is generally declaring God's word. For those who speak in a tongue... Do not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries, because they're speaking in a language that people don't understand. It's a foreign language, and the congregation doesn't speak it. Have you ever been in a congregation where the language that was preached was not a language that you knew? Yes, I have several times. (laughs) And I can... The only thing normally I can get out of it is I know, like in Russia, I know the word bog, and uh, what's the word gospel? Gospel D. In India, the he, the Marathi word for God is Dave. <laughs> Sin is a uh, papi. So I can understand Hindi somewhat better, 
but even then, I can't get a, a lot out of it. And it's similar than Paul is saying here, is you should desire a spiritual gift that people are going to be able to be immediately edified by. Because somebody could be speaking, but if it's in this other language and you don't know, who knows? God knows, and that person might know, but nobody else knows. Because look look at verse 3. But to the one who prophecies, speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. But the one that speaks in a tongue, he edifies who? Himself. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. So he says in verse 5, I I wish that you all spoke in tongues. That would be great. That'd be great evangelism in terms of, you know, going out like in Acts chapter 2. But better than that is that you would declare God's word. Greater is the one that, that declares God's word than the one who speaks in tongues. Then he gives a clarification. Unless he interprets so that the church may receive edification. So it's clear here that Paul is saying that if tongues are spoken in a church, it needs to be interpreted so that people can be edified. Because every spiritual gift is for another person's edification. For example, I just want to be honest with you, I have the gift of service. Do you have the gift of serving? I have the gift of serving and I serve myself all the time. I have the gift of giving. I enjoy that gift so much, I give to myself all the time. Mercy. I have the gift of mercy. I love exercising the gift of mercy on me. I love that. Well, that would be the right use or the wrong use of the spiritual gift. That would be the wrong use. Uh, Even teaching... The, the gift of teaching and leadership is to help others, not to help myself. Same with prophecy. The gift of prophecy, declaring God's word, it's not for me. I mean, think about it in the Old Testament. It wasn't that Isaiah got the prophecy from God and kept it to himself. That would have been sin. God would have been upset. right? You can think of Isaiah and Jeremiah, they had, remember what Jeremiah said? He had a fire in his bones. He had to, he had to get it out to others. Now, people didn't respond well to his prophecy, but he served others. It, it, it's true with tongues and all the gifts, is that tongues, no spiritual gift, is meant primarily to edify ourselves. So we can get enjoyment from it because we're being used by God, but it's not for that, it's for the body of Christ. It's to edify others. I say that because the gift of tongues, sometimes people will say, yes, the public speaking of tongues, some of my charismatic friends, any human language isn't for today, but I use it as my prayer language. Well, be careful, I would say, because a spiritual gift isn't for you. It's for others. And so then we, we just have to think through that. My spiritual gift is not for me. It's for, it's for you. It's for others. So how can I use all my gifts, not for me, but for others? And so this was a, its purpose. Its purpose wasn't for ourselves, but it was for others. 
Now, with that then, the nature, as I would say, based upon how the Greek word is used, based upon all the Greek New Testament dictionaries, it was a human language that you had never learned before. You get the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is, in a good sense, supernatural, and gives that person the ability to speak in a human language that he's never or she's never, ever learned before. Second, its purpose was judgment, saying judgment is coming. And then second, edification. And then third, should we then pray in tongues? And often, when I've talked to my charismatic friends, again, relatives, mentors, uh, I worked at a ministry in Oakland, California, and my mentor, a good man, he was charismatic and, and prayed in tongues. So I'm not speaking as one that is uh, looking down on my friends or relatives or never been associated with them. I've worked very closely in ministry with them, very closely. And the one in Oakland was the man that taught me how to drive by faith. Have I told you that story? We were coming back from Yosemite, and my tank was on empty. And I said, we have to get gas. And he said, drive by faith. I said, I'll drive by faith as long as you pay the gas bill. So he said, okay. So we were like 60 miles from his house, and I was on empty. And he said, there's a gift of faith. I have the gift of faith. Learn to drive by faith. I said, okay. So we made it all the way to his house. I had dinner with he and his family. I got in my car and ran out of gas on his driveway. He still paid to have gas put in the car. <laughs> so we had that kind of relationship. It was a, a fun relationship, and I learned a lot from him. But when some of my friends would pray, they would not pray in a human language that they had never learned before. They would pray in what they would say would be an angel language or a, a divine language, and God's language. And, and they took that from 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, you see, and um, 13, also it says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels. We went through that last week. But also, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, verse 13, Therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how the one who fills the place of the ungifted say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not, what? Edified. I thank God. I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So the context of this, 1 Corinthians 14, is a public worship service. And so there were Corinthians that when they would pray, they would pray in tongues and what the gift I would say is, and that is praying in a foreign language, but, but other people didn't understand it. So they would, what is he saying? Have you ever prayed of somebody and the other person didn't speak English 
and they prayed and you could feel their passion, but you didn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> That's happened to me many times. You know, I can understand the word God and, and sin. And sometimes everybody says Jesus, maybe our issue. And so, and then at the end, amen. Amen. <laughs> so I can say amen with them, but there were times when I was wondering, I wonder what they just prayed for. I hope it was biblical because I'm saying amen to it. And so that's basically what what Paul is saying here is that we need to pray in a way that's going to be clear so that people can be edified and built up. God's going to understand that no matter what language I pray in, God understands. But just briefly, let's look at this uh, a little bit more carefully. So we would say then that this text is not highlighting primarily the value of praying in tongues, but rather it's Paul seeking to clarify its proper place and procedure, and that when you pray publicly, that should be with clear, uh, clear language that everybody understands. Think about this. The Roman Catholic Church, they used to pray, I don't know if they still do, but they would pray in what language? Latin. You know, it's, 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 it's the same thing. Can't understand, and gotta understand, but the people don't. And I think sometimes, again, my my background I used to be part of a Christian rock band. I played bass guitar, and so we'd be at all kinds of churches where then the, the pastor would speak, and and what he would said would be tongues, and everybody would clap, yay, yay. But I I don't know if anybody understood really what he was saying. I didn't understand. And that's what was basically happening here. And so Paul is saying, there has to be, you have to be understood. Otherwise, and he'll, he'll talk about this later. Otherwise, you have an, another course that you can do. But uh, secondly, just to get the structure a little bit, uh, 14, 1 through 5, Paul says prophecy is better than tongues because it doesn't have to be interpreted. First Corinthians fourteen, six through twelve, he says basically any sound without clarity can be confusing and unhelpful, right? Six through twelve he talks about all kinds of instruments. But if the instrument is not clear, then it's not going to be helpful. I, I used to always I told you I was in a Christian rock band, they would never give me the microphone. So many times I asked to have the microphone. I wanted to sing with them. They they never did it. Why? I, I can't sing. I, I love to sing. I've improved. My wife tells me, Tom, you've improved. After 25 years of knowing me, I've improved, you know, a little bit. I, I'm just not clear. Um, in terms of the notes, I, I, I can't do that. And Paul is saying here is, if you're leading an army back in his day, and you blow a horn, and it's not clear if it's like, wah, 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 that army is going to have a problem. They're not going to know when to charge, when to retreat, when to turn left. It's unclear. And so Paul then is giving this example then. He goes further, if you pray then publicly, and you pray in a language that people don't understand, that's also going to be unhelpful. talking about praying in tongues, publicly praying in tongues, verse 14, 
Look at verse verse 14 again. He says, and remember, he's using the word if, like in verse 13, 1. He's not saying necessarily he does this. He's given a hypothetical situation. If I pray in a tongue, then it's possible, Paul's saying, that this person that is praying, that their spiritual gift is being used, and so there is this personal edification because that gift is being used. But even for that person, it could be that they themselves are not fully understanding what they're saying. You know, there were times when the Holy Spirit come upon somebody in the book of Judges, like Samson, and all of a sudden he does something great. There is a sense also which you can see in Acts, like in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God gives utterance. And Paul is saying here, perhaps the Spirit of God comes upon somebody and he uses his gift, the, the gift of tongues, but there's no interpretation. It's possible maybe he himself doesn't fully understand. Because if you look at 1 Corinthians, there's a gift of tongues and there's also a gift of what? Interpretation. So the one that always spoke in a tongue wouldn't necessarily always fully understand what they would be saying. So somebody could pray in tongues, and if somebody is praying in tongues, then you'd have to have somebody, um, excuse me, I'm going to interpret your prayer. And so Paul is saying, it's this public worship time with God, and you're praying in a tongue, and people are understanding, and maybe you're not even understanding what you're praying. And so he says, verse 15 then, here's what we should be doing. I'm going to pray with my spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Meaning, he's going to pray and sing in a way that's understandable. Because the issue is edification. And so then he comes to the conclusion in verse 19. Speak five words that are clear. Rather than 10,000 words and, and a tongue. And perhaps Latin is a good example. You know, you can have a priest that says maybe 10,000 things, but nobody understands. And then he could say five words. You, you know, you are saved by grace. Which is more powerful? You are saved by grace or 10,000 words in Latin? Unless you spoke Latin, <laughs> these words over here though they're simple and brief. That's what Paul is saying. So Paul is saying, don't... It's it's close to almost a works religion that we can all do. And what I mean is this. If I do something that's fantastical, if I do something that is marvelous, then maybe that can get me closer to God or produce some type of effect. And charismatic and non-charismatic, we, we all do this in some ways to some degree, right? We, we try, we, if, if we're not careful, we can get into the, the flesh. And that's why Paul said in verse 20, Do not be children in your thinking yet, and evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. We want to seek to glorify God by edifying the body, and so we want to do things as understandable and as clear as we can. And so Paul here is not recommending praying in tongues. He's saying, first, it's a corporate setting. And he's saying, in this corporate setting, you you don't want to pray in a way that people aren't going to understand. Even the person that's praying, he should understand what he's praying. That's what Paul is saying.
Now, my point then being made and that I, I have made to my brothers and sisters that are more charismatic is that you can't use 1 Corinthians 14, 13 to 16 as foundation for your private prayer language because it's about a public praying. And Paul doesn't say, pray in tongues in public. He says it's better to pray in a language that everybody understands. Now, Paul does give a procedure. And again, when I say Paul says, I'm saying that this is what the Spirit of God does. Ooh, 1014. Okay, we can do it. I'm saying this is what the Spirit of God does, and this is very clear, and it's very brief, the procedure. You can look at uh, verse 26. What is the outcome then? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. And he says, okay, let all things be done to build up the body. Because we can all do this. It can be about me. It can be about me preaching. It's my gift. From now on, I'm going to preach every single Sunday school. I'm going to be the preacher at camp. Every time we meet, I'm going to preach. Well, would that be right? No, that, that would be wrong. And so Paul's even telling that the Corinthians, don't be selfish. Seek to edify the body and do it in love. And now he's going to give this procedure Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most. Now, I've been in churches, like I've said, where everybody is speaking in tongues. Everybody. All at the same time. Well, that's wrong, because it says here, in turn. It says two or three, and in turn, and it must be interpreted. So almost about 90% then of what's called tongue speaking should be eliminated from what I've seen, from my experience. Because I've heard tongues so many times spoken and nobody interprets. It's very clear that's not right. And then verse 28, but if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. And I've mentioned this uh, before. Suppose somebody had the gift of tongues and they want to use the gift of tongues, but he doesn't have, this person or she doesn't have the gift of interpretation either, but they still are thinking that they want to speak and, and use their gift. What should they do? Paul here in verse 28 is saying, fine, use it, but do it where? Do it over here. Don't draw attention to yourself. I don't mean, you know, it has to be, it can be anywhere. But he's saying, do it quietly and, and do it by yourself and you can use your gift. Because if there's no interpreter, then nobody's going to be edified. So yes, you can speak. God's going to hear you. That's very clear from verse 28. It says, he must keep silent in the church. So he's not going to talk. He's not going to say anything. She's not going to say anything. But do it over there. Don't draw attention to yourself. Because it has to be in turn, one at a time, two or three, and it should be interpreted.
Yes, of course. I have never, in my experience, heard a a person speak in, in a human language that they have never learned before. So I, I have not seen a, what I think is a true example of the true use of the gift of tongues. I think according to scripture, the gift of tongues is somebody speaks in a human language which they had never learned before. And today, there are is a lot of claim to speak in tongues, but I don't think that's the true exercise of the gift. From what I've seen, I haven't been everywhere in the whole world. (laughs) I've been to many places in the world, but I haven't been to every church everywhere in the world. I I did share the example last week. I went to a language school in India where there were many people from YWAM. There were many people from the State Department that would work in uh, the embassy in India, and we were there seeking to learn Hindi. And my brothers and sisters in Christ from YWAM were learning Hindi because though they said they had the gift of tongues, it wasn't, they said, public speaking in tongues, but the Holy Spirit prayer language. And so they had to learn Hindi because God no longer gave the full gift of tongues. And I said, I don't think that's what Scripture teaches, but, you know, may God bless you. And may we all learn Hindi so we can be clear in our gospelizing. (laughs) Now, I I do want us to note verse 39. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. (laughs) So that's what God says. God says, don't forbid people to speak in tongues. I would just say that it appears to me, from careful study, I think, of the New Testament, that the gift of tongues was the supernatural ability imparted by the Holy Spirit to speak in a human language that you had never learned before, so that even unbelievers then could hear God's word clearly and be edified, edified in terms of salvation, and then even believers could also be edified. That it was not uh, a divine angel language. So that's mostly my brothers and sisters that are charismatic when they speak in tongues. And I've been with many that would pray in tongues. They're saying that they're using a divine angel tongue. And I would say there's no example of that in, in the Bible. God and angels speak to us in our language. However, I'm not to forbid people speaking in tongues. I would simply say, be sure that you use the true gift, and if you're not sure or you don't know, then be careful. You don't need to pray or speak in a different language for God to hear you. I see it this way. You're not going to be a more powerful prayer because you pray in a divine language. Because you can't get closer to God through your language because of Christ. We approach God through Christ, not through our language, right? You understanding? what? Am I being clear with what I'm saying? In other words, we have to be careful because we could be saying, because I pray and speak this way, 
Therefore, God's going to hear me better. Well, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of believers certainly don't have the gift of tongues. The First Corinthians 12 says the Spirit gives the gifts as he determines. So if I don't have the gift of tongues, I can't pray as well as other people? Is, is that what we're saying? So we have to be careful. And I want to tell all of you that because of Christ, you have all that you need to approach God. And he will fully hear you. You don't have to speak in a different language. He fully hears all that you have to say because of the throne of grace and the work of Christ. Now, we don't have time. Perhaps we can do it, do it later. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Our tongues for today. I would say tongues are not for today. I don't think it's normative. Having said that, it says don't forbid speaking in tongues. Just challenge people to speak biblical tongues. Let me just wrap this up. Sorry for going a little bit long. The, the main idea of all of this, I would say, is this. These brothers and sisters at Corinth were very richly blessed with all the gifts. But they mistook their gifts for godliness. I'm not just talking about tongues. You can read 1 Corinthians they mistook all of their gifts for godliness. And I've known many people, and I know myself to a degree, it's easy to exercise your gifts and not even necessarily be godly. It's true. And so Paul is saying, look, the point is not the flashy gifts or even the unflashy gifts. The point is love. First Corinthians 13, love. Serve in love. And that's even how you know you're a gift. Love people. Do what you're good at. And then allow yourself to be stretched. And then get feedback from other people on on your service. Seek to love. Don't seek to make much of yourself. Seek to make much of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. I hope this brought some clarity and not more confusion. I hope there was some clarity, Lord, and we pray that you would be glorified. And Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters. So many of my charismatic brothers and sisters are so faithful and so bold for Christ. And I pray that we could be as faithful and as bold as they are for you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.